Welcome to Switchblade Sisters, where women get together to slice and dice our favorite action and genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Every week I invite a new female filmmaker on, a writer, director, actor, producer maybe, and we talk in depth about one of their fave genre films. Uh, perhaps it's one that influenced their own work in some small way. Today I'm very excited to have writer, director Shaz Bennett here with me. Hi, Shaz. Hi, April. Thanks for having me. So let me give you all an introduction to Shaz's work and life and medium. <laughs> Before working in film and television, Shaz worked in a fish cannery, bartended at a mafia bar, was a film programmer at Sundance, LA Film Festival, and AFI Fest, peddled liquor undercover, developed films for actor Giancarlo Esposito, and was Cher stand-in for a day. You always got to have stories. You got to have stories. You got to end. Uh, you got to end on the one where people want to know more. Her films and performance pieces have been seen in festivals, theaters, museums, and abandoned warehouses all over the United States, Mexico, Canada, South Africa, and Europe. One of eight women selected to the AFI Directing Workshop for Women, nominated as one of Fox's top twenty, Sundance Screenwriting Labs twenty seventeen, with uh, director Crystal Moselle, who did this year's Skate Kitchen, yeah. um, and Fox's inaugural franchise directing program. Um, the result of all this work is her debut feature, <laughs> Alaska is a Drag, that she wrote, directed, and produced. The film about a gay, daydreaming, aspiring superstar stuck working in a fish cannery has won numerous awards and festivals, most recently Best Feature at the Smithsonian African American Film Festival in Washington, D.C. Shaz was highlighted as one to watch in Vogue, Filmmaker, and other publications, which led her to her first television writing job on The Glades, and that's on <laughs> A&E. Uh, she later joined the writing team for Unreal on Lifetime and produced the popular spin-off The Faith Diaries. Shaz currently writes on the police procedural Bosch on Amazon and directed her first episode on season three of Ava DuVernay's Queen Sugar on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Shaz's original pilot, The Salt Flats, was included as one of the top unproduced scripts written by women for We For She this year. Her latest film, Desert Rats, premiered at AFI Fest this November. Yay! <laughs> Sounds it sounds more impressive when you say it all at once. <laughs> it's, oh. it's over like many years. <laughs> <laughs> ah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but this is uh, all very exciting. All this new stuff. I'm sure you're very tired. Um, I'm very tired. I'm very energized. It's been a good year. You know, huh. it's like you have. So it's it's been such a funny year because it's been a really good year personally, and professionally for me. But oh, it's yeah. been like. One of the toughest years for the country and the world. Yeah, it's just like, we might end, but at least I got one so, good yeah. one out of it. <laughs> You're like, you know, every time I'm trying to like, hey, you guys, I won this award. I'm sorry. Uh, like, we're going to hell. Yeah, pretty much. So, yeah. Well, congratulations, <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so today, Shaz chose one of my favorite films to talk about, too. Uh, it is Point Break. Yay, Point Break. Yay. Do, 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 do. I Point love break. this movie so much. Tell me why. <laughs> well, it's so funny because when when I, when I you first reached out and said, you know, do you want to um, come talk about genre pieces, I was like, my first initial thing was Point Break because... I used to run a women directing um, group, and then I was hosting these salons for the AFI Directing Workshop for Women. And how I always get to talk to people as I say, you know, tell us your name and what movie would you want to have directed? Yeah. And I always start with, uh, I'm Shaz Bennett, and I wish I had directed Point Break. <laughs> because I, I, I just think it's like the perfect 
action movie. It's like it has mm-hmm. all these, you know, I mean, well, also I'm from Utah, so Johnny Utah. That yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. That uh, definitely um Utah, very... they name-checked us. Utah exists. <laughs> yeah. Well, it really, it's funny because I'm from Utah and there's no film and television that I was involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, but once a year, Sundance Film Festival comes along and so... Like I would, that was like my Christmas, you know, like I started taking tickets when I was like 13, 14 years old Mm -hmm. and was just like, I want to go, you know, hang out with filmmakers and artists. And I was that annoying little kid that was just like, you know, asking questions in the Q&A, like, what's your favorite movie and why did you make this movie? And does it remind you of other movies? Mainly just to make a list so that I could self-teach myself how to be a, a, <laughs> yeah. a filmmaker, you know? Because I, that, in some weird way, like, I think, and I'm like, why did I, I just thought that's how you become a filmmaker is you talk to filmmakers and they tell you how they did it. Yeah. You know, it, I didn't even know about film school and all this like, other oh, stuff. Oh, you could just like, do that if you wanted yeah. to? <laughs> Which led me into film programming. So having watched thousands of movies a year for 10 years, you know, I, I'm totally self-taught, but this movie came at a certain time in my life when I, you know, I think I was like 14, 15 years old when mm-hmm. I saw it. And I was just like, there's something about this movie that's just, I didn't, I didn't even know it was directed by a woman. Yeah. But it respond, I reacted to it. You know, yeah. like I was just like, I'd never been to the ocean. I'm from Utah. You know, there's no ocean. So I was like. I remember going to the ocean and feeling that power of like mm-hmm. all of that and just and part of it was just falling in love with it from this movie and then I loved all the crazy action sequences but I loved the reaction of these two men that were like the polar opposites of each other but there was a, a constant push pull mm-hmm. and then you know I mean I think about Lori Petty and how you know, like when you look back on it, like with your eyes from 2018, yeah. which I was really excited that it still holds up, you know, because sometimes movies you watch when you're 14, 15, you're like, I really hope this movie is still good. Yeah. And then it's like you watch it and it's like, no, no, it's really still good. But like casting Lori Petty and like because she wasn't like, you know, I have dark hair, dark eyes and they're like. The love interest in so many movies in the 80s and 90s were always blonde, long hair, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is like, that wasn't me, that didn't look like me. And so I loved that part of it, too. Um, I don't know. I love this movie on so many levels. (laughs) Well, let's get into it. keep going on and on. (laughs) No, let's get into it. But for those of you who haven't seen Point Break, today's episode will give you some spoilers, but that shouldn't stop you from listening before you watch. As always, my motto is that it's not what happens, but how it happens that makes a movie worth watching. Still, if you would (laughs) like to pause and watch Point Break, now's your chance. So let's introduce Point Break. (laughs) Written by Peter Illiff and directed by Catherine Bigelow for release in 1991, Point Break stars Keanu Reeves as Agent Johnny Utah, who's just been transferred to the L.A. FBI field office. His new partner is Angelo Pappas. (laughs) (laughs) Such a great character. (laughs) Who's got a hunch about a group of bank robbers that have been plaguing the city every year. Angelo thinks they're surfers and he wants Johnny Utah to infiltrate their group. You can't just walk up to those guys. You have to get out there and learn the moves, get into their head, pick up the speech. You're trying to tell me the FBI is going to pay me to learn to surf. It's either you or me out there on the board. 
You get my drift? Johnny tries out surfing, but wipes out. And a woman <laughs> named Tyler saves him before bitching him out for having a death wish. Johnny then feeds Tyler a line about being an orphan, so she'll teach him how to surf. So I'm a big hero to my folks, right? Mm-hmm. But two years ago, they were killed in the car wreck. You can't imagine it. Your whole life changes. Through Tyler, he meets a surf gang headed by Bodie, played by Patrick Swayze. Bodie only accepts Johnny after he realizes that Johnny is a former all-star quarterback that he used to watch until he blew out his knee. So Johnny doesn't initially suspect Bodie and his gang for this you know, series of bank robberies. There's another <laughs> gang that's already been physically violent with him. So Angelo and Johnny start targeting them. And then they have a raid. Unfortunately, this gang was already infiltrated by the DEA for a separate investigation. And they definitely are not bank robbers. That's when Johnny reluctantly looks at Bodie and his crew. But he also gets swept up in their adrenaline junkie ways. While Johnny and Angelo are staking out a bank, the ex-presidents, uh, the bank robbers, they show up, <laughs> and Johnny gives their leader chase. It's very obviously Bodie, but he never removes his mask. When Johnny has the chance to fire at his target, however, he shoots all his bullets into the air. <laughs> Bodie takes Tyler... Uh, this is later. <laughs> Bodie then takes Tyler hostage. And then he blackmails Johnny into helping them pull their last job because now Bodie knows that he's an FBI agent and blah, blah, blah. I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> I am an FBI agent. But the, the job of the, the bank robbery, it gets botched when two agents try to foil it and die. Johnny gets arrested for helping the robbers but speeds down to an airstrip where the gang is trying to escape. Angelo and a gang member die in a shootout. Johnny has to wrestle Bodie in midair. Bodie and another guy escape and release Tyler. All is okay because Johnny knows exactly where and when he can find Bodie, his best friend forever, later on. Which is the biggest, the biggest wave of the century. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's so funny when you talk about the plot of this film. Mm-hmm. It could so easily just be like the cheesiest, most ridiculous story ever yeah and 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 it could be (laughs) yeah and yet it isn't because it's the the characters are really real the spirituality is really real the people are real like Mm -hmm. there's a there's so many deeper levels man (laughs) it is i mean you know you can tell that Catherine bigelow is taking this story seriously yeah and that's um you know that that's such a credit to her yeah. That she can turn something where if I read the premise, you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> For real? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, I mean, you hear the stories. It's like, oh, I was just thinking, oh, what if a story of a, you know, surfer as a bank robbers and the FBI mm-hmm. last learned to surf? Like, OK, it's a it's a premise. But it's the characters that really matter. And it's like and it's the casting and it's casting Keanu Reeves and it's casting. Patrick Swayze, yes. you know, and those two together. Yes. It's it's like a bromance before there that was a word. Something that I thought about obviously quite a bit and wrote a little bit about is the fact that so many people have tried to capture the kind of the same kind of spirit that is in point break mm-hmm. and have failed miserably. Yeah. You know, like they they can't seem to get it or, you know, just laughably. Um, It's a film that is simultaneously a little silly and a little serious. And, you know, it's 
it's dumb Hollywood movie written all over it, and yet I find it to be this incredibly moving film with surprising substance. And a lot of the conversation that we're going to have is going to, you know, go into how Catherine Bigelow achieves that balance, you know. Um, But let's get into something that, to me, kind of hits home of why this whole thing works, and that is that um, Illif was... Uh, the writer, Illif, um, was actually very, very different. Um, his script was very different before Bigelow got a hold of it. Mm. And that's something that, you know, Bigelow and James Cameron, her producer for this project, um, they weren't going to take credit for it. it. You know, it's just going to be a, a Peter W. Illif script. But one of the major changes that she made to the script had to do with the character of Tyler, played by Lori Petty. In the original script, the character's name was feminine, and she was described as blonde with big boobs, which Mm -hmm. is a typical kind of what you were describing, the kind of character that you're going to get out in the beach. Like, that's what all women look like out there. Um, But she, you know, she didn't have much personality, much dialogue. But you look at Tyler and what Petty was able to do with her, and you start to understand how revolutionary that character yeah, is. And for sure. Yeah, no, it's like I remember that first scene where she like, you know, where she saves him, you know, he's learning how to surf and she like pulls him up from the bottom of the ocean and like saves him. But then it doesn't turn into the initial meet cute where mm-hmm. it's just like, Oh, you saved me, you know, and and they're all dripping wet and you know, and then, yeah, and then yeah. instead of that she just surfs away and he's She's like, like I'm Johnny you. Utah. And she's like, Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's like so great. You got no business out here whatsoever. Uh, hey My name's Johnny Utah. Who cares? Because she is like completely the anti love interest at, at least for at that time i imagine and just in general like that's one of those things where sometimes people talk about the female gaze or the mm. you know the what what makes this movie different because Catherine bigelow directed it versus somebody else but i can't i mean i can't speak for her but i can't imagine that that wasn't a part of her whole process is just like i've already seen that blonde um, dripping wet girl in a bikini like is there another way we can have this beach girl you know mm-hmm. and that California girl that's fucking badass and is in the water and knows knows the water better than the dudes and mm-hmm. just like that like, I, like that growing up in Utah like I grew up like around like a lot of thrill seekers and like snowboarders and rock climbers and mountain climbers and there's that there's a, something about that kind of person and the girls that hang out with that kind of guy are also that person. They're yeah. really cool and hip and they're very present yeah. and aware. And you have to be because you just have to be kind of like living every moment. You know, it's like like watching this movie again. It's been bringing up all these stories. And I just remember like rock climbing with some friends when I was younger. And like I got sort of anxious and I wasn't like hanging off of a 50 foot, you know, cliff or something. You were free soloing shit. I wasn't free soloing, yeah. but I was like. I, my friend said he looked down and he was like, I could see that you were you were getting nervous. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, he just looks down and he's all, just, Chaz, just like, you know, just find the next hole. Just you're fine. You're going to be cool, you know. Yeah. And it's just like that type of just be here now, you know, which I is what a better way to look at um, of a world of, you know, our careers in film and television. Yeah. You know, like don't don't fall in the fear of like, am I going to fall? Am I not going to be able to succeed? Is it, you know, just Mm -hmm. so 
but I hadn't seen that type of girl. And that was Lori Petty. She was mm-hmm. just so perfectly cast for that because she was right there with them. And yet also, like, smart enough to go, you guys are dumb as shit. Like, you're going to kill yourselves out yeah. there. You know, calling them out on all the bullshit. It was great. She wasn't, she wasn't all masculine. And she wasn't all feminine. Yeah. But she had a really uh, beautiful, androgynous uh, character to her. And yeah. And that, that was something, you know, that I feel is definitely true to life in some way. And, you, you know, what you said about her being like, she's still a love interest. She's just yeah. not the same kind of love interest. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but you mentioned some stuff about, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze. So we'll get right into them as soon as we get back from the break. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I There were no horses in this country until the, the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes. Yogurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer who saved her life. Farm-raised snow leopard. True. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one, or weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show. Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm here joined today by Shaz Bennett. And we are talking about... Point break. Let's just talk about... We could just make this the Keanu Reeves hour if we want, or the Ugh. Patrick Swayze hour. I don't know. I fucking love both of them. I, I love, love both Petty of them too. so much. Jesus. <laughs> um, so, uh, for me, it was difficult to remember that, you know, where Keanu Reeves was at in his career. And that's something that, yeah. when I was writing that one piece for Rolling Stone, that I was looking at the context of this in terms of his career development. It's just so important. Yeah. It's really, really important. Um, you know, And to think that, that Catherine had to fight for him so hard, apparently. Like, you know, a lot of people were not down for that, the studio, the network, and she... You know, and even mm-hmm. James Cameron, who probably had more juice than she did, was sort of like, "All right, really? <laughs> like, if this is what you want to like, do, I'm going to stand behind you." But you know, and 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 now you can't imagine anybody else in that role. You know, it's. I mean, I think that we underestimate how much he adds to it too. He's like, he's definitely. A baby-faced boy. Mm. I mean, like, now he's got facial hair, but I don't think he got facial hair until he was, like, in his 30s. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, he was, like, probably trying to shave to get it. (laughs) And, um, you know, now he's, like, a grizzled action hero. But, uh, you know, this kind of marked his foray into action in general. And him being, you know, continuing to be one of our greatest action movie stars starts here with Catherine Bigelow. Yeah. And and when you read about it, it sounds like they, I I met Catherine Bigelow once like a a gajillion years ago at Sundance at the labs. Mm -hmm. And she was one of the advisors. I was just working there. But she was just like, she talked about like, she just has a sense with an actor. Like Mm -hmm. she just knows this is the one, you know, like, and, and I think th- you can see them together. It feels like they created this character. And like I said, she, I, I feel like she's typing, she's, she had a lot of against type casting in the show yeah. where she's putting, you know, putting him, who's this FBI agent, cop, good guy, and yet, like, 
that would be just one note. Like yeah. If, so it's like casting somebody that can fit in the world too. Because mm-hmm. no, you know, it's like you look at Gary Busey and like you know, everyone was thinking he's so crazy because he's just thinking about these surfers. You know? <laughs> Which when you start talking about the plot, it starts to get <laughs> a bit absurd. But <laughs> Gary Busey is Angelo Pappas. You know, like it's so great. I, I, I mean. To go to Keanu, one of my favorite scenes ever is the chase scene. That's like I've broken down that chase scene a million times and mm-hmm. how they shot it and how like and apparently the the guy in the mask who's Swayze wasn't Swayze. It was yeah. the um, his body stunt, double. His yeah. body double. But there, but Keanu is doing all of that and running and jumping and doing you know and he's so he's very like present in that chase and yeah. so great and just that chasing altogether is like magic how you know they're all the force perspectives of those alleyways and cutting in and out of you know um houses and you know throwing a dog <laughs> it's like it's like who thinks about that you know like it's amazing it's wonder in in certain in certain ways the way that they kind of use the environment and the chase sequence, also reminiscent of um, certain, you know, uh, Hong Kong action films mm. that also use the environment yeah. in a manner to, and obviously very different, you know, because they're not using martial arts or anything like that. Yeah. But just the interaction with the environment as it happens, you know, it feels like it feels like a surprise. For sure, everything feels like a surprise. Well, that and the the the, the raid where you know they go to get the surfers and Antiochus is get shot in the foot and yeah. all, you know, like it's like that scene too um that was one that allison my director of photography on my feature and i we would we reference because of how it's shot and it's so close and um your brain has to fill in a lot of the because mm-hmm. it is the environment and you never lose track of the geography of anything but like the payoff of the lawnmower when you're looking through the window and you're like, and he's trying to tell, you know, don't go in there and he can't hear him because there's this lawnmower. But then they goes through the window out and, you know, like that whole crash is kind of hidden by a tree, which from what I've heard and read too, like Catherine was wanted it to feel very visceral and be in the middle of it and that's a different type of fight scene you know like where you're you are like watching that and you can't help but like be you know get all scrunched up and be stressed out because you're like his face is going closer and closer to this lawnmower and yet of course you know safety wise they never let him get that close but like Mm -hmm. the way it's edited and the way it's shot and the viscera like you're you are right the audience is right in the middle of it yeah and that's i hadn't seen that in like because i i love like so many great action sequences in general like i i love action sequences but part of it is often i'm looking at it like i'm just watching it you know yeah and that one takes you in it and you are literally right there in the middle of it. You're getting, you feel like you're about to get your head cut off by a lawnmower. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about that and how they accomplish it. Because you've got, um, you know, first off, what you're saying about it being very personal and very uh, part of a POV. You know, yeah. you are in these characters' POV is um, uh, that's one part of it. And then, you know, another part is the fact that Catherine Bigelow and her uh, DP, they developed a new camera 
for yeah. the purposes. So they were using a pogo cam, which is definitely like a lightweight, movable yeah. um, object that is much easier to get yeah. around along with the snorkel lens. I know. How incredible is that? Yeah. I mean, who thinks like the <laughs> like the snorkel lens is, has the ability to just kind of like bend and move and get close yeah. in these very interesting ways that are disorienting. Yeah. And to choose to shoot these action sequences with that is extremely brave. Yeah. Uh, I would like to talk a little bit about, um, uh, like, go back into some of the um, Lori Petty stuff, because I, I think we skipped over some things yeah. that I would love to, to get into. There is a scene when Tyler gets kidnapped in the end, and... The way that it's shot, you know, because there's like a video of her where she's like she's tied to a chair and she's wearing a negligee of some sort. And um, she's like definitely been beating the shit out of her or something like that. And most of the time when a in a like a video like that, that's a video that actually happens in a lot of movies, right? There's like a woman who's been taken kidnapped or whatever. The the framing of that and the way that like like Lori Petty's body language is unlike any other video in that manner. Yeah, it's great. I mean like Every time you have the woman in peril shots in this movie are so great because, you know, like she's so great in that moment because she's just like her eyes are on fire and she's just like, she's mad. Like she's just pissed, you know. So she's she is definitely the woman in peril and it's the end of the movie and, you know, Johnny Utah has to go and save her. And, you know, like it 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 does tell that story, but it's not like what you would normally see the woman in peril in that moment. You go back to the raid earlier where it's like these two women that are like the girlfriends of the surfers and they're, you know, naked or almost naked. One's naked in the shower. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in in most movies in the 80s and 90s, it's not going to end well for those girls, the naked in the shower girls. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, like... She does another great twist there where they cut the one girl comes running out and she's completely naked, but she's got a knife and she goes after him. You know, it's like it's like it's fun to see that twist, you know, like have them not be the typical just like, you know, naked woman dead about to be end up dead. You know, (laughs) like can we like at least like have them come back with a fight, you know, and it's it's so I love that so much. I mean, We've and I I talk a lot about the female gaze and I still try to figure out what it is and you've mentioned it and we you know sometimes I think the female gaze isn't it's just seeing movies or seeing things in a way that we haven't seen them yeah and I don't even know if it's there's anything and sometimes, specific sometimes I mean like, I think sometimes it's like the female gaze or the gaze of somebody who's been underrepresented in um, film and television it's mm-hmm. like it's puncturing the the surface of what we already have seen you know so it's yeah. like, like sometimes it's like you'll watch a movie and, and you're just like oh I've seen this a million times it seems so tropey and and then it's like somebody else will come along that we don't get to see their vision very mm-hmm. often and they'll just twist it in a way like I, I mean it happens a lot in foreign films that you know just because they're not from the same lens they don't see the world in the same lens that we do it's like suddenly it's so surprising and you're just like, wow, that was so amazing. Like, cause 
you're you're so used to set up and I think Hollywood wants you to do what they know is going to succeed but then it's like when somebody does that but then just puts this weird twist like has the naked girl in the shower come out with a knife and attack you know it's like that's awesome like I never saw that before so it's it's it is a it's a different lens but it's it doesn't necessarily mean it's a different storytelling it's just fresh it's just different you haven't seen it yet I also think it's possible for anyone, it doesn't matter gender or race or anything, it's possible for people to fall into a trap of perpetuating old tropes just because they've seen them so often that it's hard to get out of that storytelling mode and that that perspective. Has there ever been a moment where you've like written or directed something or started to do it and then realized like, why am I doing this? Um, all the time. <laughs> really? I mean, really, honestly, all the time, because you kind of like you start off like, you know, right now I'm developing a bunch of stuff. So it's like you start off with, uh, you know, the, the the gist of the story, the, the kernel of the story idea. And then you're like, OK, so now what do I do? And you go, oh, OK, I want these characters. You start with these characters and then mm-hmm. you're just some sometimes it gets the, initially you do want it to feel universal and you mm-hmm. want it to feel like okay i know who these characters are and you know it's if you can't tell what your story is in like a couple of sentences you probably don't have a story yet so it's like so sometimes it does help you to go to the movies you know and love and so you're you can't help but go to something that's been well trod yeah and then hopefully you start going into it, you're like, yeah, I've seen that before. Like, what what can I do t- to make that different? And then that general for me, it always starts with the character. So I have to go back to the character. And it's like, yeah. who is this character? I always write like two or three page backstory. So it's like that person is going to respond differently than, you know, somebody that has a different backstory, mm-hmm. you know, just like in human beings, like all the women and men we know that aren't perceived on television yet, you know, it's like some, even I write in television and what I love about television is like it moves so fast and you have to like if if an idea doesn't work, you got to come up with another one, you got to come up with another. But like sometimes you need to come up with a backstory to know who that character is and what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, because it, otherwise it's it's hard for the actors, it's hard for the writers, it's hard for the director to know, what are we saying? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. and then you can just go to the tropes. But, I mean, I don't – I've been lucky to not uh, work on that type of show. But yeah. when, when I was coming to talk to you initially, like, I was, like, thinking of the stories that I like. And I was, like, set it off and aliens and, like and, – uh, and the craft. And a lot of people had already talked about the, those yeah, movies, yeah, yeah. you know. And what is it about those movies that's different, you know? And it's, like, those girls are like us, you know? Like, they're, like, people I know. So as long yeah. as you can try to keep making sure that that's the battle you're winning and yeah. like, that you're getting those type of characters – like just get makes everybody past your better. First few drafts, which are likely yeah. going to have tropes, and then keep red it's marking so it till yeah. it's better. Yeah, it. It. I mean, every draft you write, you you are going to bring something. You know, even like even in my movie, that's like drag queens and boxers. But there's a lot of boxing movies, and there's a lot of drag movies, and there's a lot of um, competition movies, and fish out of water, and coming of age stories. You mm-hmm. know, so. Each of those has their own tropes. Even if you're doing a mashup of all of them, 
hopefully, <laughs> if you do it right, you're making this one work. But I don't know. I, I hope <laughs> so. Like, I don't know. I hope it did. <laughs> I uh, try. <laughs> we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the technique of creating um, the kind of look that Point Break has. So uh, we'll be right back. Hey, gang. Uh, this is Jesse, and I am joined by Bikram, the managing director of Maximum Fun. Hi, everyone. So we have some really amazing news to close out 2018. After this spring's pledge drive, we gave members the chance to buy enamel pins with the full profits of those sales going to the National Immigration Law Center. This is a tough time to be an immigrant in the United States. As individuals, as a company, and as a community, we wanted to help provide resources for immigrants in the face of these attacks. We're proud to live in a nation of immigrants, and many of us here at Max Fun are immigrants or the children of immigrants ourselves. Together, we raised over $100,000. NILC will put that money to good use, providing legal representation to immigrants and their families who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. We are so proud of our community for making such an immense difference in so many lives. And whether you bought pins or not, you can help the NILC advocate for immigrants right now. All you have to do is go to MaximumFun.org slash N-I-L-C. That's MaximumFun.org slash N-I-L-C. Our thanks go to all of you who made this possible. Great work, everybody. And happy holidays from all of us at MaxFun. Welcome back to Switchblade Sisters. I'm April Wolf, and I'm here joined today by Shaz Bennett, and we're talking about Point Break. I uh, think Donald Peterman, who is the cinematographer of this movie, um, he famously did Flashdance, among many other movies. I know. Which is one of those things where <laughs> when I was looking at his IMDb, I was like, oh, Flashdance. <laughs> this movie. I completely get it. Um the sensibility that I think he brings, that Catherine Bigelow brings to the project, it's something that charges every scene with a sexuality. Mm-hmm. Not just like, oh, big tits, that's sexy, but just like the essence or the atmosphere of sexuality and sensuality. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just you feel that you can reach out and touch them and, you know, you're so close to them. Like you can, you know, you can see a wrinkle on a shirt. You can, and, you know, the, like, like so many 80s movies, it also had, you know, these elements of kind of pumped in fog, you know, to like (laughs) diffuse some of the light that was there. And, um, And that, I mean, that football scene on the beach, having that lit from the headlights of all the trucks. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing like shadow of these bodies and then falling into the water. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow has like, I think in almost every single movie she's done, something is lit by the headlights of a it's, of a car. It's so smart. It's it's such a um, – because also, again, it ties it to the world, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I love Flashdance for all these other reasons, but I wouldn't yeah, you necessarily – like. I wouldn't necessarily say – like I've, re- I've recently rewatched Flashdance and I watched that movie at a certain time in my life with this little kid growing up in Utah that was like – I wasn't probably – 
I was too young to <laughs> really um, experience it, and mm-hmm. um, so it stuck in my mind. But what I liked about Flashdance is that, again, like you're in the world, you know. Even though the loft was a bit absurd, yeah. <laughs> but you know, in it, there's something about this movie in particular that I feel like the DP and Catherine did such a great job is that they. Um, you're never like lighting from the headlights. It's, it felt very natural. Of course, there's I'm sure condors and a million other things mm-hmm. to make it. You know, it's like the shots of the waves. Like I was trying to shoot something out at the ocean recently in, at night, and it's like without a condor lighting up those blue waters. You know, it's like it's just a sea of blackness. You know, yeah. it see, there's nothing and a there. And condor you know? is you know like that's <laughs> that's a large key light like a, a yeah. mall that's gonna... and it's always going to help you give depth to yeah. the rest of your frame. So I'm sure there was lots of other light, but it felt very just real. It doesn't, you're not aware, you're not suddenly aware of this lighting and these mm-hmm. like, you know, shadows and darkness. And and yet it was also a very smart way. Like when I was doing the fight scenes in my movie, I Allison, deep, Allison Kelly, the DP of my movie, and mm-hmm. I would reference some of these scenes because they're very, very, very real. A lot the actors did most of their stunts, and they feel like they come out of the story that we're in versus mm-hmm. like. And Catherine hides um, punches and hides like maybe where there's a point where it's like, oh, we need to get the stunt doubles in here, let them like go do the hard rough housing. Yeah, you can you can hide it behind other characters in front blocking the lens mm-hmm. and or the lights from the headlights or the tree as they're falling out of the house, you know. So you can you can carry one shot that almost looks continuous, but you're being safe with your actors, you know. So yeah. the, so it was a, it, it's one of those movies that it's it just feels so um it's so smart. I, one of my favorite things is thinking about how she was directing from a rowboat. Yeah, a tiny rowboat, rowboat out in the yeah. out in the water, and um, you know she needs to be close to her actor. She wants that int- intimacy, not just in on the screen, yeah. but in her relationships with these collaborators. Yeah. Um, I, re- I remember I, when I was um, first learning how to direct, and um, Leslie Linkaglader had you know taught this um, class at AFI directing workshop women and she mm-hmm. would have us all take a scene and then you know block it out and try and you know direct it and then yeah. and it was a scene that she would have done you know on some tv show uh, i think it was like a west wing and then it's like so we're all like you know you know blotting it out and then she and then each of us are going along and each of us did it slightly different you know yeah but i just remember it was so cool because you got to realize that like there's no one way to direct anything. There's just your way. And then in hopefully if you're a student of film and television, you will learn how to direct like other people, mm-hmm. which will make you a better director. But um, I just remember one thing she always said, like, be up close to the actors. She said, I like to be up close to the actors. And one of the reasons is because if you're not close to the actors, your, um, you know, second assistant camera person is – going to tell them how they did <laughs> yeah and i was and thinking like, yeah, you oh did great. it's so true you know because <laughs> and now you know having done a few more things it's like if you're not near the actors they're they're getting their feedback from the, yes. the crew which is fine you know often the crew is very you know supportive but 
you as the director. I like. I definitely like to be up next to the actors. I feel like. Um, I mean, actors need and want feedback most yeah. of the time. Like uh, you want to know that you did okay. Well, I, I mean, just to go back to the labs at, at Sundance, like I remember Robert Redford saying um, that uh, you know, like because the labs are about the director, you know, mm-hmm. and it's about the director getting to try all these things out. And it's a really a, like there's 150 people there for the eight or ten fellows, and it's like. Take your chances. Be bold. Do something you never (laughs) – that you might not get a chance to do, you know, Mm -hmm. um, if you're you're burning money, you know. So it's like – so be bold. And he's encouraging everyone. But then every Sunday you watch the scenes that you shot of that whole week. And I remember Redford saying, you know, now is the time to be really cognizant of your actors because at the end of the day, your actors – are the ones on screen. Mm-hmm. And it's their face that you've made them do all this crazy stuff all week. And if you haven't protected them and taken care of them and, like, you know, supported them, they're going to be up there on screen just flailing. Mm-hmm. And you could, and there were certain, you know, I can't even think of any specifics, but there were certain scenes where the director was learning how to to do that. Yeah. And the actor just, you could see it in their eyes. They were just sort of like, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> you know, and that that's what's so interesting about even um, in Point Break where there's moments where sometimes Keanu Reeves' um, performance for me personally feels big. Mm-hmm. And yet it's like there's other times where he's so like nuanced and so layered and, and he's matching uh, Swayze and he's matching Gary Busey and he's matching Laurie Petty and I was thinking Catherine Bigelow fought for him she must have like she was right there with him all the way you know so it's like yeah. I I don't know I I'm I'm this bit of a, a wild tangent but I just I do think of that all the time too you're not protecting your actors you're you're not directing well it's their face you know? I mean obviously I think some of the the more specific places where you think you can see Catherine Bigelow protecting her actors is with Patrick Swayze's performance, which is, mm-hmm. I you know, one of his best, I think. And mm-hmm. I am a roadhouse aficionado. Pain don't hurt. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think, you know, his performance here, uh, as you know, as you had pointed out, you know, he was coming off of Ghost. He was coming off of Dirty Dancing. Yeah. He had a certain kind of feel to Amer- American audiences who were like, he's a very sexy, very like suave kind of person and you look at him here and I'm thinking specifically even in the plane scene before you know as he's showing Mm. um, Johnny Utah the the video of Tyler and uh, he's gonna jump out of the of the plane there's a wildness in his eyes that I think it's it's not an easy place to get to yeah but they're like he no he's scary as shit he's and he is like he is like thriving on that thrill seeker yeah. thing and it's like and it, you can see where that thrill seeker goes bad you know yeah and it's yeah no it's so great and I love like I love listening to the stories about how he was jumping out of planes and they're like don't do that insurance is bad yeah I know. I know and then it's like that scene where he learns how to jump I mean he and they they the camera rolls with him falling out of the plane mm-hmm. and it's just on his face and he's just flying backwards. It's like, like, but in his eyes, he's 
nuts, you know, like, and I'm, I don't know how many times you did that. Like, they probably did that maybe twice, you know, like. Yeah, I think they, but like, he only did one jump for the movie. And that was it. The rest of it was just him wanting to do it to get practice, yeah. to look comfortable. But then he was just became then obsessed that, like, with it. That he's a, he's obsessed with it. And yeah. You could tell that yeah. they were like they were all all of those boys were just like dealing with that testosterone and that thrill seeker. And yeah, it's just like there's a kind of a um, bubble. <laughs> just the sensation of of. Uh, the thrill you can feel that it's almost like a jitteriness yeah and with Patrick Swayze there it's it's on a different level of performance but he also said that this is uh, the role that most resembled him he felt like both his bad and his good sides these these way and so Catherine Bigelow was able to kind of embrace this part of himself you know that he was never really given the opportunity to show because Hollywood will, yeah. you know, bring you in and be like, this is who you're going to be. Yeah. And and then it's like you've done Dirty Dancing. You've done, you know, uh, Ghosts. Like, we want you to do another love story. And Yeah, because you can like, be vulnerable and you can look at someone like you love them. Yeah. You know, and that's also a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. So they're like, let's get you in with fucking yeah. Demi Moore and do this shit. Yeah. Um, so him having this kind of romance with this man and with adventure is is a very different kind of pairing for him. And it's such an interesting because there's definitely like a, you could say from the 2018 eyes, you could say there, or even in the 1991 eyes, you could say there's like this homoeroticism to the love story between the two men. Yeah. But it's so much more than that because there's, there's this true, like, it's it's very spiritual sometimes like sometimes it can be sort of cheesy surfer spiritual stuff but yeah. it's like it's that sense of it's the thing when my friend says you know you're getting nervous on a rock climbing and it's like don't think about that like be here be here now don't think about falling think about going up mm-hmm. and you're so close to getting to where you want to be you know and there's all these moments where you see these two men that have sort of um, mastered their physical bodies and you know ones they're both these athletes and then um, but they're starting to get to this second level of masculinity mm-hmm. in this sort of like me now kind of sense of like I I'm more than this. I'm, I am, uh, you know, I'm a part of a smaller, large, like there's that line where he says something like, you know, once a year or some, once every 50 years, the ocean tells you how small you are. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there, that's like a beautiful line about where we are in our, in the world, in the universe, in yeah. the, you know, existence, you know? So I, I think you have to take all those levels to, to really see this movie. Like, and, you know, it's, it's like you can always look back on it and, you know, like I could wax poetic about it, you know, but I and I don't know necessarily that all of the all of the layers were like 100 percent Catherine Bigelow or the writer's, yeah. you know, perception of everything, you know, like 
it's not like I think sometimes they just wanted to make a kick-ass movie and there's and it, and it is on that you know? level too <laughs> you know it's like but like there's the, there's these funny moments where it'll go deeper and there's another layer of like something you're like whoa that's like it is so much know? better than it has to be yeah because it's like that like even go to Roadhouse like I love it's Roadhouse too it's a great too. fucking movie <laughs> I love Roadhouse pacing, so much the pacing the editing the cinematography like, the performances you know, there's no like there's no bad there's not like a even like a bad guy in you know like who's the who's the evil person in um, Roadhouse or or in um, car, car dealership and the the government yeah. and the yeah yeah and and, and like in uh, Point Break the the evil is the system and the like the the people that are holding them back from like being able to just live and be mm-hmm. who they are you know but like. Yeah, they're also robbing people and scaring the shit out of people and like <laughs> pointing guns at people, you know. So they're also bad guys. But you fought your by the time you really realize who they are, you're you're so deep in love with them that you're like Keanu. Like you want them to succeed. Too. Yeah, Johnny Utah also has the same thing. He's yeah. just like, fuck, I fell in love with these guys. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have to take them down i'm so sorry yeah um yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining uh, us today on the show Shaz. and can you tell people you know where they can see your work right now or in the future yeah i mean you just go to my website at shazbennett.com they're always updated but there's um you know my feature film is out in the festivals and uh queen sugars out and i'm on bosch as on amazon so you can watch all of those things on the internet. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to Switchblade Sisters. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you do, we'll read it on air. If you want to let us know what you think of the show, you can tweet at us at SwitchbladePod or email us at SwitchbladeSisters at MaximumFun.org. Please check out our Facebook group. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash SwitchbladeSisters. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and this is a production of MaximumFun.org. I am an FBI agent. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.